Let's turn our Bibles to Malachi. Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. And I want to look at the last two verses of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4 and verses 5 and 6. And of course, Jesus came at the beginning of the New Testament. And this is right uh, before Jesus' coming uh, in Scripture, the very end of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. And this was 400 years before Jesus came. This was uttered. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Let's bow in prayer, O Lord, we pray that thou bless these thoughts to our hearts this morning. Forgive us of our sin, in Jesus' name, amen. So here we have 400 years before Jesus came, the last words of Scripture were that Elijah the prophet would come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, before Judgment Day, but before Christ's coming as well. And he would turn the heart of the fathers to the children, the heart of the children to their fathers. The Messiah would come. And that was prophesied many times in the Old Testament, as we saw in uh, Sunday school this morning. Now let's turn over to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to see Elijah coming before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And we're going to start reading with verse 13. So here we have, after those 400 silent years, we have uh, Jesus coming and the preparation for Jesus' coming. Luke chapter 1 and verse 13. And the angel, but the angel said unto him, this is to Zacharias, fear not Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so here we have the prophecies of John the Baptist. John the Baptist would come, and Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth were old, but they would have a son, John the Baptist. And they would have joy and gladness. And John the Baptist would be great in the sight of the Lord. Jesus said that John the Baptist was as great a prophet as ever was in the history of the world. None was greater than him. John the Baptist. And he came to prepare the way for Jesus, to soften up the ground before Jesus came. You know, back in World War II and other wars, 
They had a softening up process when they would invade places, when they would invade the islands. They would get the battleships out there, the bombers out there, and they'd bomb it, bomb it, uh, preparing it for, to be invaded. They never got rid of all the opposition, but they got rid of a little bit of it doing that, and then they had the invasion. That's how it was with Jesus. The ground was softened through John the Baptist coming. And John the Baptist was a great prophet announcing the arrival of Jesus. You know, John the Baptist was not a very socially acceptable guy. He lived in the desert. He ate locusts and wild honey. And he wore skins. And people back in those days didn't wear skins. They didn't eat locusts and wild honey, uh, hardly any of them. And they didn't live in the desert. But John the Baptist did. And God used him. You know, sometimes we think the church has to be completely socially acceptable. We think the pastor has to be socially acceptable. But that's not really the case, really. You can see that with John the Baptist. And uh, I remember one guy saying, well, I, as the pastor, I need to drive a nice car to, to show a good example. And, you know, that's not what John the Baptist did. And he did far from that. And then another interesting thing about John the Baptist, he was filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. This is one of the greatest proof texts and the others to follow of being anti-abortion, is John the Baptist was really John the Baptist in the womb of his mother. And it wasn't just some fetus there, some blob or something like that. No, it was John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Ghost, even in his mother's womb. And uh, if, we would have if they would have aborted him, they would have been killing him, killing John the Baptist. And then another thing about John the Baptist, you know, he got his head chopped off. And as I've said often, uh, the job of a prophet in the Bible is basically to tell people what they don't want to hear. And that's what John the Baptist did. And, of course, sometimes when you do that, you have to pay the price. The prophets paid the price in the Old Testament. And John the Baptist paid the price. He got his head chopped off. But, you know... What did he really get his head chopped off for? Well, he got involved in politics. You know, uh, we've been having some elections recently down in Brazil and also here. And one guy was saying, one of our friends was saying, oh, don't you know that politics and religion don't mix? And politics and the Bible don't mix. No, the Bible has to do with everything in life including politics. And here, John the Baptist, well, he's born here, but he got involved with politics when he reproved the ruler, the King Herod, of his sin, of having his brother's wife. He really got involved in politics there, and he made a big enemy of Herod's wife there, his brother's wife that he took, and finally, he got his head chopped off. But he was involved in politics. But what we want to look at especially is verse, there, verse 13. 
And we read in Malachi chapter 4 that God would send Elijah the prophet to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And so here in Luke 1.13, it very clearly shows that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of that prophecy back in Malachi. And that he was turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And he would come in the spirit and power of Elijah, verse, actually it's verse 17, not 13. Turn, he would go in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the fathers to the hearts of the children. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And you know, what exactly was John the Baptist doing turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers? What's that all about? Well, what that is, is he was going to turn people to the Lord that they'd get saved. That they'd become Christians living for the Lord. And did you know when a person gets saved, when they become a Christian, when they call upon the Lord and they say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner... There is a change in their lives. And one of those changes is is that they pay attention to their family. That their hearts are turned to their family. The fathers to the children and the children to their fathers. There's natural affection that comes into play. Well, you know, it says in the last days that people will be without natural affection. And we have that today very clearly here in America. And so people don't want to be bothered with their family. They don't want to be inconvenienced by their family. And especially if their family has needs. If they're very young or they're very old, they don't want to be bothered with them. They don't want to have anything to do with them, basically. And... Of course, why do people abort their babies? It's for convenience. They don't want to have a child to take care of. They don't want that. They want to pursue their career. They want to do what they want to do. They want to have fun. They don't want to have children. And so they abort the babies. They're not interested in their own families. And then after the baby is born, they don't want to be inconvenienced by the child raising the child themselves. They want to give the child to the daycare and let the daycare raise the child or let other people raise their children. And, you know, they don't want to be inconvenienced. But, you know, with Christianity, the hearts of the fathers are turned to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Well, that's when they're very young. Then when they get very old, people don't want to be inconvenienced with the old anymore. And so we have nursing homes, and people are put in the nursing homes. And, you know, it's, it's good if we, uh, you know, try to make things better for them in the nursing homes, try to visit them or whatever. But, you know, nursing homes are not a very pleasant place. I was visiting in a nursing home just a couple days ago, there in Delaware. And I was visiting a lady who's there in the nursing home, and then she proceeded to tell us about the fact that all night long, there's a lady that screams in the next room over, all night long. 
Well, that's not a very pleasant place to be. And, uh, you know, I've, I've done a lot of visiting in nursing homes in my time. And I have never come across one person that actually genuinely liked being there. And, you know, we can give them activities, which is good, to try to make things better for them. We can go visit them or whatever. But uh, they don't really like being there. But people don't want to be inconvenienced with their older mothers and fathers, and they put them in an institution. Of course, there they have 24-hour-a-day nursing care. But that nursing care really doesn't consist of a whole lot. The nurse down at the nurse's station. And, uh, and then we have... When it comes to the very end, people don't want to be inconvenienced by their family when they're getting in really bad shape and, and dying. Uh, they want to put them down. And it's, uh, you know, uh, I have a neighbor across the street, or did have a neighbor across the street there in Delaware. And she was dying, or was going to die. And what they did is they cut off all of her food and water and waited three days or whatever it was there for her to die. And it's, it's, it's a sad situation. And you know, she wasn't like she was completely out of it. She actually picked up a picture there and was looking at it. And no, people don't want to be inconvenienced. But with Christianity, the hearts of the fathers are turned to the children, the children to their fathers. And you know, there's an old saying that says he's a saint abroad and a devil at home. And you know, the Christian becomes a saint at home, too. And the society today likes instant gratification. Instant gratification. And they don't want, of course, they don't think about the fact that they were once young and needed to be taken care of. They don't think about the fact that they might be old someday and need to be taken care of. No, they're interested in the moment right now and not being inconvenienced. Well, he turned the hearts of the fathers to the children, children of the fathers. John turned the people to the Lord and prepared the way for Jesus. And then we have uh, Zacharias. We read these in the, well, we didn't read this earlier. Let's keep on going. Verse 18. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man. And my wife, well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season." And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. They perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me, to take away my reproach among men. So here we have the prophecy, that, again, of John the Baptist coming. And Zacharias says, I'm an old man. And Elizabeth was old. How would they have a child? Does that remind you of someone else in Scripture? Well, Sarah. 
and Isaac, uh, back in Genesis. They were old. Sarah was 90 years old, and she had a son, Isaac. And here we have Zacharias and Elizabeth will have uh, children. And, you know, both times, Sarah didn't have faith that she would actually have a child. And here we have Zacharias didn't have faith either. And he was stricken dumb here for a while until the child was born. Well, you know, Zacharias had this vision. They didn't have the whole Bible back in those days. They had visions. They had these things, dreams. But now we got the whole Bible. We don't need those things. And so, you know, again, with natural affection, verse 25, Thus hath the Lord looked on me in the days wherein he looked on, hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. And it was a reproach back in those days not to have children. It was a curse. It was a reproach. Today, it's looked upon as a blessing. People take birth control and all kinds of things to keep from having children. And then they abort them when they do conceive them. And then we go on with the birth of Jesus foretold. We read this in our responsive reading. To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And here we have the virgin birth that was prophesied back in Isaiah that a virgin would conceive and bear a son. And then verse 28, the angel came unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. Mary was highly favored, as we mentioned in Sunday school this morning. Mary was highly favored, but she was not superwoman. She was not above human uh, kind. She was a human still, and still a sinner. It was not the immaculate conception. She was still a sinner, and, but she was highly favored having Jesus. You know, remember when Jesus uh, was there with the wedding at Cana, and Mary came up to him, uh, he said, Woman, what have I to do with thee? And then we go on here. Uh, she was not sinless, down to verse uh, 32. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Here we have the Annunciation all through this chapter, and it's talking about Jesus coming. And here we have the fulfillment of Old Testament scriptures, Old Testament covenants. And there was the Davidic covenant back in the Old Testament. It was prophesied that David would have a son to sit on his throne forever. And who was that? Jesus, that would sit on his throne forever. The Davidic covenant was being fulfilled here. There'd be no end to his kingdom. And then, you know, some people say, well, you know, Mary really wasn't a virgin. She was just a young woman. And don't you know the word in the Hebrew there in Isaiah 7 is, you know, that's just a young woman. It's not really virgin. But it's very clear in Scripture what it means here in verse 34, then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? So it's very clear it was the virgin birth. And then verse 35, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, the power of the highest. And then verse 36, talks about Elizabeth. And 
she would have a child in her old age, the one that was called barren. That was a reproach back in those days, to not have children. Then verse 37, for for with God nothing shall be impossible. So there were two miracles, the virgin birth and also the old age birth of John the Baptist. And then we go on here, go down to uh, verse 39. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. The babe leaped in the womb. Who was this that leaped in the womb? It was John the Baptist, not some fetus or subhuman uh, blob that can be thrown in the trash can. No. Then we go down to verse 44. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. A real person there. And you know, with all the advances in medicine, they can save babies in the womb. They can do miraculous things. And it's so clear that the baby in the womb and out of the womb is the same person, the same baby. And then we go down to verse 48. For he hath regarded, the, this is Mary speaking, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. The lowest state of Mary. It's, it's a great example that God gave us that Jesus was born in, a, in that manger, in that stable. A lowest state. He wasn't born to the rich and to the famous. You know, we tend to, In our internet world today, and our media-driven world today, you know, what does the media always concentrate upon? The media always concentrates upon the rich and the famous and the powerful. Like they're the only important people in the world. But actually, they have a handicap coming to the Lord. They don't want to come to the Lord. And, you know, uh, Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get to heaven. And I believe that's talking about a real needle and a real camel. It's impossible with men, but possible with God. And so uh, rich people have a handicap. But here, Jesus was not born into a rich family, famous or powerful, the low estate didn't even have a hotel room. They had a stable to be born into. And then verse 49, For he that is mighty hath done me to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. You know, God's mercy isn't to everybody. It's only, the Bible tells us that Straight is the gate that leads to heaven, and few there be that find it. And broad is the way that leads to destruction. And God's mercy is on those that fear him. 
that give their lives to him. They say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then verse uh, 51, he hath showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. You know, back in the Old Testament, it said that if you beat your child with the rod, if you discipline him, you'll deliver his soul from hell. And, you know, people like to say, well, you know, that's, that's, the Bible really didn't say that. Of course, they say, yea, hath God said that you use the rod. But the thing is, it says there you'll deliver his soul from hell if you discipline him. How is that? Because you give him humility. And a person has to have humility to call upon the name of the Lord. And it says it here. He hath exalted those of low degree. He hath scattered the proud. Well, I don't know if you were following this past month the World Cup of soccer. Of course, soccer is not a big sport here in the United States, but we have been missionaries to Cameroon and to Brazil. And those are two of the soccer powers of the world. And so the World Cup has all the champion teams coming together to determine a world champion. And Cameroon and Brazil were both there. In fact, they both played. And I was tickled to death that Cameroon beat Brazil. Even though they weren't scheduled to do that, Brazil was the number one team. But, you know, you can see the illustration there with Brazil. He has scattered the proud. And, you know, Brazil was the number one team. They had a big victory. Everybody was exalting them up to heaven, how great they were. And they came to the next game that they were supposed to win easily. And they were overconfident. They were lackadaisical. They were proud. And what happened? They lost. And they were out. And God has scattered before a fall comes pride. Scattered the proud. Then we go on down to verse 67. Skip all the way down to verse 67 of Luke chapter 1. And his father Zacharias of John was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying... And, you know, in the scripture it talks about being filled with the Holy Ghost. There's, you know, the Pentecostals make a big thing about this. And they have like this uh, filling that you have to have in speaking tongues. But no, what this is talking about is God filled them for a particular job. Or he filled us in the church for the particular job that we have to do today. And so Zacharias had a job to do here. He prophesied. He was filled with the Holy Ghost. He spoke forth God's word. And he said, verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. And it's interesting, right here next to this verse, in my sermon notes, I have Genesis 3.15, which Tim talked about in Sunday school. That was the first giving of the gospel back in Genesis, that uh, God would bruise Satan. 
and Satan would bruise Christ's heel. Well, anyway, that was spoken way back there in Genesis, all through the Bible, by the prophets, that Jesus the Messiah would come. And he fulfilled all those scriptures from the Old Testament. And verse 69, he has raised up a horn of salvation. We want salvation, spiritual salvation. Spiritual salvation in heaven. Then we go on down to verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all that hate us. And sometimes God will save us from our earthly enemies as well. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham. So we had before the Davidic covenant, now we got the Abrahamic covenant that Jesus is fulfilling when he came to earth. And that oath which he sware to our father Abraham. That was an unconditional covenant to Abraham and to his seed all through history. And I believe Israel still uh, should own the land of Israel because that was promised in the Abrahamic covenant back here. In the Bible, back in Genesis, and it's referred to here, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. And then we go down to verse 76. And thou, child, John the Baptist, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So John the Baptist was the prophet of the highest, preparing the way, softening up the ground for Jesus, to give knowledge The people would get knowledge of salvation by the remission of sins. And they would look up for salvation. I've told you before, we got some people across the street from us there in Delaware that call themselves the grounded souls. We don't want to be looking down to the ground. They want to be one with the earth is what they teach. No, we don't want to be one with the earth. We don't want to look down. We want to look up. Look to God for salvation, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And we're all born in sin. We all naturally go towards sin. And then all through our life, we sit in the shadow of death. What's the only thing in life that you're sure of? It's death. That's the only thing. Because five minutes from now, you could die. And we're not anything else we thought we were sure of, taxes or whatever, it doesn't come to pass. Death is the only thing we're sure of in this life. And we sit in the shadow of death all through our life. All through our life, the shadow of death. But Jesus came to give us the answer to that, to show us the way to heaven. And you know, Christmas is a little bit like a second Thanksgiving, uh, that we're thankful for Jesus coming to this earth. We're thankful for forgiveness of sins that we can have through his name. And of course, what is supposed to be our 
response to this, we're supposed to go out and serve him. Serve him with our whole hearts. Give our lives to him. You remember Jesus healed ten lepers, and only one came back and gave thanks. And he wants us to give thanks with our whole heart and serve him with our whole heart and our lives. And then I just wanted to give you a little interesting illustration in parting. Uh, You know, uh, we have stray cats around my house, and I feed them sometimes. And the thing is, uh, we have this one cat I was feeding. She died there, and she had three kittens before she died and left me with them. And so I caught two of them. I gave them to my son this past week. He said he wanted them from North Carolina. But I got one more there, which I haven't been able to catch. I didn't try real hard, but I tried some. And you know, that kitten does not want to be caught. And it does everything it can to keep from getting caught. And why does it do that? You know, The other kittens are going to have a great life with my son and daughter. Uh, My daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law, she she just uh, babies animals. So anyway, these two kittens are going to have a great life, but this third one doesn't want any part of it. Why? Because it's afraid of the unknown. It's not sure it can trust me or anybody else, even though I feed it all the time. It's not sure it can trust me, and it's fearing what's the unknown out there. And why don't people come to the Lord? Why don't people come to the Lord? They're just like that kitten. They're fearing the unknown. They don't want to trust God, and yet it's great what we're promised in heaven. It's great our future. We need to trust him and pray that prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Let's bow in prayer. Oh, Lord, we just thank Thee for these thoughts from Thy Word, and we pray that anything that was from Thy Word would be stuck with us, but help us to serve Thee with our whole hearts and minds and soul and bodies. And, oh, Lord, we just thank Thee for coming to earth to die for our sins. We thank Thee that Thou wast born and fulfilled all those scriptures of the Old Testament. Just help us to give our lives unto Thee and serve Thee. In Jesus' name, amen.